Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is my wife and partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. Today is part two of a two-part arc where we are diving deep into DBS, deep brain stimulation. So if you haven't heard part one, I encourage you to go back to the last episode, and it's 40 minutes, and then come back to this one and hear the conclusion. And I'll introduce you to some stories that we are going to continue and conclude today. Yes. Uh, I've talked to many people over the years about the timing of DBS. When is the best time to do this thing? To, to drill a hole in your brain and put electrodes in there and add a brain pacemaker to your chest and control yourself with an iPhone. When is the best time to do that? Do you wait as long as you can to get the greater technology? Because you know, every time you upgrade your phone, there's a better phone that comes out. Same thing with DBS. Or do you just go back and get five of the good years back? regardless of what the technology is. Do you want the five good years back or the five years that you had to, that you extended things in order to get the better technology? I suppose that's a decision that everyone needs to make. And for us, it's partially also when is it available to us? Because in British Columbia, it's a long wait list, one surgeon. It's kind of like you get on the list and then when your number comes up, you see if that's the right time or not. Right. In many respects, the technology is advancing fast and the future has arrived. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, connecting with Dr. Alfonso Fasano. Uh, he holds the chair in neuromodulation and multidisciplinary care at the University of Toronto and the University Health Network. For the longest time, uh, when we did deep brain stimulation surgery for uh, movement disorders and particularly Parkinson's disease, in order to make sure that we were in the right spot, uh, we could use the probe inserted in the brain to record the neuronal activity. Um, and initially, this was just used to locate the target. So there are certain noises that the brain does, that the neurons do, uh, that tell us that we are in the right spot. Um, and uh, since DBS then has become a, a recognized uh, uh, exploding therapy, I should say, more and more information in this context has been obtained over the years. And people have started to realize that actually this noise that we hear in the operating room is more than just noise, that we can use uh, processing, uh, uh, we can process the signal to, to understand what these neurons are saying in a way. Uh, and, uh, and this is when it was recognized uh, that a certain oscillation at around 20 Hertz that we call beta band is associated with off symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And when there is no off symptom, this beta band goes away. And usually when there's mobility uh, and good mobility, we have a different band uh, that uh, is more prevalent. It's called gamma band. And you know, little by little, we're starting to learn the language of this nuclei uh, and the neurons. So beta is bad, uh, alpha means tremor, uh, theta means dystonia or biphasic dyskinesia. You know, there are different bandwidths that uh, we can now extrapolate and record. But this could only be possible during surgery because this is when the electrode is there and there's a wire that comes up out of the skull of the patient. Then some people were left with the electrodes so-called externalized. So the surgery was done, the electrode was inserted, the electrode for DBS, but instead of uh, connecting the electrode to the battery pack that is usually placed under the chest, uh, in the upper part of the uh, chest, uh, this electrode was left outside of the skull for a couple of days. 
Obviously, it can't be done for many days because there's a risk risk of infection. So, but so let, gave... me, let me just explain what you just did. Is you you went to the center of your head and you pulled. It was like pulling out a hair or a big wire from your head, <laughs> and you yes. you took it out about two feet. Is it that long? Well, the, no, the electrode is not super long. The electrode stays in the nucleus that we want to stimulate, and it's like twenty centimeter long. But then attached to this electrode, we uh, connect extensors, so okay. other wires. And these wires can be as long as you want. <laughs> and these are actually used to record the activity of the brain when the patient is done with surgery, uh, the first part of surgery, at least for a couple of days while the patient is in hospital to run experiments. This has actually helped us a lot in understanding the brain function. The problem is that, as you can tell, this is something that can be done temporarily for a few days. In, in a very unecological manner because people are in hospital, they, they just underwent surgery, they had the effect of general anesthesia. The placement of the electrode itself makes symptoms better. So these people don't really display a lot of the symptoms they used to have before surgery. Uh, the symptoms come back after a couple of weeks. Uh, so what happened to these patients historically was to, is to connect the wire to the battery pack and that's it. And then we could not access their brain anymore. Um, now we have a new technology, uh, which is made possible by one of the uh, major manufacturers for uh, DBS devices that allows the researcher, uh, but also the, the, the neurologist, the clinician that doesn't do research, to access the brain function anytime. Uh, and this is connecting uh, the programmer that we use normally to program DBS to patients, to the patient, and remotely, this um, battery pack uh, stream live uh, the information recorded constantly from the brain to the computer of the physician. It's kind of like Wi-Fi. Yes, it's not using Wi-Fi technology because it won't be uh, safe. Uh, right. It uses a proprietary technology uh, that uh, so it can be hacked, uh, but it uses tools. So it's a, it's a, it's a proprietary telemetry uh, telemetry technology that is proprietary. Is, is coded, it can't be act, that communicates from the battery pack of the patient to this device that is external to the body of the patient that the doctors us, and this device communicates via Bluetooth with the programmer. Now, now, can you communicate back? Yes, that will be the near future. But, be, but before we go there, let me tell you that this system also stores the information. So you can be with your doctor all the time. Really, that's 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 one of the big issues with Parkinson's is you only get to see me every six months or 12, 12, 12 yep. months for an hour. And that's not representative of, of any person with Parkinson's life. Exactly. As a doctor, I know I don't spend enough time with my patients. Uh, this will be a way to have a log. We can record brain activity. And actually, patients can also... Uh, bookmark certain moments. They have a special remote control and they can click a certain, we can program up to four events, either tremor, you know, you can say tremor, discontinuous, whatever. And the patient can click, or I, simply I don't feel well, I feel weird. The patient can click on, the, on their remote control and that will uh, put a bookmark in the ongoing recording so that when the patient comes back to see me, I can locate exactly what happened in the brain when they were Hitting that particular button. Now, where um, where where are we in the development of that? It, it's it's here. You're using yeah, it. It's, it's, it's commercialized. It's it's usable for any patient and also for some existing patients that already underwent DBS. That's unbelievable. Um, 
Yeah, it's it something is going to help us uh, a lot in understanding the disease, first of all. Uh, but connected to your question, you know, when you reply back to the signal, uh, this is very preliminary to something called adaptive deep brain stimulation or closed loop stimulation. So cardiac pacemakers were developed in the 50s. And in 12 years, there were already cardiac pacemakers able to react to a certain ECG pattern. Uh, and that's because the heart is a simpler organ. The ECG is well understood. So it took only 12 years. For the brain, the brain stimulation, it took about 30 years to be there because we needed to understand the e ECG of the brain, which is in this case, the beta band and all the bands I mentioned before. And now what this means that these systems that I'm talking uh, about will be used very soon, probably, to, to perform something called adaptive stimulation. So basically the system will constantly monitor the amount of beta in the brain. And only when there is a certain amount of beta, the system will turn on um, and will stimulate the brain to stop the beta. And then as soon as the beta goes away, the stimulation will, will stop. That's amazing. That is, that, that's gold. And then you'll be able to target all the different bands, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that will be d depending on where the electrode is, what type of patients you have, what disease you are uh, treating. Uh, this is going to be used, especially at the beginning for Parkinson's disease, because Parkinson's disease is the disease that we know better in terms of uh, these signals. Uh, but we now know a bit of the signals since in dystonia, the signal signals since in tremor. Um, but uh, more and more we'll know uh, more about the disease, first of all. And then eventually, even without DBS, without adaptive DBS, this will help a lot of people because doctors will, will be able to understand these conditions more. I mean, it's not going to be enough, uh, but in science, and we always have an exponential growth. For one thing, two more things come. And for these two things, four things come because we learn more and more. What was your role in developing that? Um, well, uh, I, I'm a DBSer, so I'm, I use DBS. So I've been uh, um, consulting the, the company with respect to the interface and these kind of things. But this is something that uh, um, is being generated uh, uh, in the labs of Medtronic, which is this company that is uh, the first company that ever produced DBS electrodes uh, for diseases. Um, it's been also developed by independent uh, researchers, but really, it's uh, something that was developed for commercial reasons. Um, so my role at the moment is just to use it and, and, mm -hmm. and, and to see how to make it better and how to really find a clinical applicability for this. Actually, uh, another learning point of all this story is the, how good is competition. Because Medtronic for years, for 20 years, was selling the same products. But then two more companies from North America came on board, uh, Abbott and Boston Scientific, two more from China, Pence and Sinray. So uh, as always, competition uh, um, pushes people to do better. And this is when uh, actually a lot is happening in the field of DBS and every company comes, uh, comes up with new features and new technology. And uh, eventually this is good for patients. And, and that's why I'm really happy that there's this competition and if you talk to companies, they also say, you know, we're happy because this is actually stimulating uh, uh, research and development on new, on new therapies. It might be a little uh, confusing, daunting maybe, because we have so much to choose from now. It's like when you want to buy a car, there are different manufacturers, different mm -hmm. models, and sometimes it's difficult and, uh, for patients. And it's difficult, particularly for my patients, because my practice is not just to decide for them, 
I strongly believe that patients are part of the team. So when I see patients and they are, you know, we're at the final stage and we're discussing deep brain stimulation, I want them to be aware of the different features. Obviously, I guide them in the decision because it's too much for them to take, but I don't want them to go home with Dr. Fasano that told them, you need to do this with this, and that's it. I want them to have a sense of what's on the table for them. And, and again, this is, this is confusing for some people, but I prefer to do it this way. Uh, I think that's brilliant. Uh, I'm uh, I'm waiting in line to get evaluated for DBS, and it's a 45 month wait here in British Columbia. So yeah, I know uh, that. By then, uh, they may have like uh, even more futuristic uh, devices to, to install <laughs> into my head. Maybe I'll be a remote controlled robot by then. <laughs> well, there is a, there are a lot of ethical issues um, related to, to what you just said. Um, so first, you mentioned waiting. Well, I don't want to talk about the politics of waiting, um, and but I, I know well the situation in BC because uh, well we happen to to operate on few patients that moved from BC to Ontario just to uh, get uh, coverage and then have uh, the brain stimulation in Ontario. Um, waiting time is a huge issue in Canada. I've been practicing medicine in many countries. And I should say that I think Canadian healthcare system is the best I've practiced on in, but like any system is not perfect. And certainly one of the, the problems of the Canadian system is the waiting time. So, you know, as you can see back, Dr. Fasano understands what we're going through with the waiting times and realizes it's a big issue. <laughs> I don't know that I have much more to say about that other than it kind of sucks, right? Well, I mean, everybody knows that it's a problem, but nobody is fixing it. That's what's frustrating to me. Well, it hasn't been fixed yet, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are aware and people within the industry and within healthcare providers who are attempting to take steps to do that. It's just never an easy process within any healthcare system. Right. So, for instance, we just received our Parkinson Society of BC quarterly magazine called Viewpoints. There's a section on the latest uh, regarding DBS in our area. And we have one neurosurgeon in the province who's qualified to perform DBS, Dr. Christopher Honey. In 2019, the Ministry of Health doubled the amount of surgeries they would let Dr. Honey perform each year to 72. It also announced plans to hire a second surgeon. Their promise is yet to be fulfilled. Now here we are in 2022-ish, we're a couple days away, and this is two years old, the budget's there, they have still have not hired another surgeon. Ugh. Yeah, there seems to be some resistance within the existing system to that change and to incorporating more voices and talents and professional experience into that process, which for us, as the folks who would benefit from the DBS and are willing and able to have holes drilled into your head in order to gain the benefit of that, then, um, you know, that's that's really frustrating because it does seem like there, there might be some ego and some politics at play. And you and us as your family are the ones who are losing out in that process. Right, yeah. Back to technology and DBS. I had the pleasure of being a part of the ODNA PK Radio in Spain, ODNA PK Radio in Spain. The hosts are members of Con P. de Parkinson's, a growing group of women who speak Spanish and have Parkinson's disease. They're, the first voice you're going to hear is a friend of the podcast, Sabella Evion, who is also acting as a co-host and our Spanish to English translator in real time. Now, I'm talking with Sonia Seriano Espert about her DBS surgery. 
And I have to admit, I, I sat up and took notice when she said through Sabella that she didn't have to shave her head. Say what? I didn't know that was possible. You were asking something to Sonia, Larry. We're, we're... Yes. How did they do the surgery uh, if they didn't shave her head? ¿Cómo te hicieron la operación en la cabeza, Sonia? Si no te, pues si no te hicieron, me la hicieron, me la hicieron, le pregunté al, al cirujano, porque aquí hay varios hospitales y cada uno tiene un método distinto. Donde a mí me lo han hecho son bastante punteros. hospitales hospitales so so they they get you know they get you done in four hours then within a couple of hours you're sent to the recovery room and in four days you're sent home and everything is already into place so i see you're smiling <laughs> do you want to come to valencia to have your surgery yes. <laughs> no, no. And, the most, and the most important is that we don't pay nothing amazing yeah social security yeah uh what did it make you nervous to have a robot operating on you Sí, no, no, no me opera, o sea, re, eh, ellos lo... It was general anesthesia, so, so you're totally asleep while it happens. And uh, Sonia's main concern, and she's written about it, and, and, and she said, I was, I was worried that I would open my mouth to say something, and it wouldn't be me after the surgery. <laughs> and the minute I realized that that wasn't the case, then I was like, okay, it's fine. And uh, <laughs> so, of course, you know, it's a, it's a road. It's, it's todo una, un camino adelante, ¿verdad? One of the best things uh, that helped um, Sonia be prepared for her surgery was all the, the generous information, the generous friends and colleagues and, and, and fellow fighters who shared with her uh, their experience. So she, was, she, she knew what was going to happen. She had, her, her expectations were very realistic. Uh, she knew that there were things that, that could happen one way or another way. That, so she had people who explained to her how, how their surgeries went. So... So that's also very important. And this, I've heard her say this before, she hasn't said it today, but uh, um, it's important to know that there are things that are going to be more difficult than others. And that again, we're all very different from each other. What did the DBS help with Sonia? How's it helping her? And then is there anything that went, that, did it, that it didn't help that she wish it would have? Entonces, Sonia, ¿en qué te ayudó la DBS? ¿Qué, qué notas? A ver, a ver mira. Yo, por ejemplo, tenía so you got the part about dyskinesias, I guess, because that was pretty, pretty expressive from her part. But also uh, freezing, she had some freezing that now it's gotten better. Facial expression is gotten better. And uh, she hasn't been out much because hello pandemic. <laughs> so it's not very safe in general. But uh, also the fact that people tell her, you, you look like you were before. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's been a, a, like a going back to, to not that you can control things because you let us not fool ourselves. You cannot really control anything. Exactly. <laughs> but but that, that feeling, that feeling of being able to, you know, to to have to be here sitting and, and being still as still as possible, which wasn't the case before. Going back to the second part of your question, what 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 it didn't help with? And uh, again, you know, insisting on the fact that of realistic expectations. Uh, Sonia knew that there are no miracles because people, uh, her friends and people who've gone through it had, had told her that. And, uh, and she had all the information. She knew that the second day she was going to feel and pardon my French like shit. And she did. But she knew that the following day was going to get better. And the following day was better. <laughs> so so that's, uh, that was also very helpful. And all the support, the support that she received from, from you know, from friends, family, from, from us, you know, from the community, 
uh, it was that that's something that helps you get through through something like this. Uh, so she felt, and she still feels like the luckiest woman in the world. And now, and I'm, yeah, the funny thing yeah. about about the bionic, the bionic woman, woman, uh, that's uh, that's her new <laughs> her new name. If only people yeah. knew the the power that that we have, you know, to help and to to help other people and and all of this when we support each other, then you'll be you'll be impressed, you'll be shocked as to how powerful we can be. As I contemplate all the possibilities of what this DBS surgery could be, I never thought a robot would be doing it. And I don't know if I'd like that idea or not. Pros and cons, right? So a decrease in human error at the same time, the robot is still programmed and partially controlled by human surgeons. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's unproven techno technology at this point or newer technology than we are accustomed to where we are. So it does seem a bit scary. Right. Now, I believe there's surgeons in the room in case something goes wrong. It's not like an auto, a, 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 a autonomous vehicle where the car has to decide, should the old lady live or should the group of Girl Scouts live? I think we've all heard this uh, scenario with the autonomous cars. That's it's the big conundrum. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, uh, system for deciding whose life is more valuable than somebody else's, or, or do you save the patient or do you save the brain? And troubleshooting. Yeah. If something goes awry, so they, so actual surgeons would come in and complete the surgery. Oh God, I hope so. If it needed to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't have that yet in North America, but it may be coming. Becca Miller's DBS surgery was just a few months ago in September, and her second surgery, I believe, was in October. Larry, so you were able to speak with her less than a week after her DBS was turned on, so yeah. it was still fresh. Real fresh, yeah. I asked her what was the catalyst that took her from, hell no, remember when she she, she got mad at her neurologist for bringing <laughs> it up, to, to like, just like, what, four years now it's been, and she's like, yeah, I'm in. I think what it was that, I thought, well, I'll take a look. It felt like most of my day was taken up by waiting to come on or waiting to get over dyskinesias, right? It was like more and more, the, the ratio went like sort of started going like this, you know, started shifting from, you know, more good time to more bad times. So, yeah. um, and then I was like, well, I talked to my neurologist and I'm like, well, I'm going to document how much good time I have. So first of all, the first day that I tried to do that, I had four straight hours of dyskinesias. And I was like, this is messed up. And then, and so I was doing it on notepad because I found there's no good app or anything for Parkinson's folks to just record all the different symptoms that they want to do. Like I want an app that you can just touch and say, you know, on, off, whatever. No, there isn't anything like that. So I was doing it on notepad on my iPhone. And the thing that really clinched it was when my dyskinesias made me select all and delete the whole thing by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, well, maybe that's a sign. <laughs> so like four days of, you know, carefully, meticulously documented gone in a couple seconds from, you know, stray dyskinetic fingers. So yeah. then I was like, all right, I guess, I guess I got my message. <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. So. So how did your daughter accept it? So it took me so long to tell her because I was really nervous and um, about, you know, what to, what to say and how to say it. Um, you know, the funny thing was she was most concerned about, which makes sense for an eight-year-old, she was most concerned about her birthday 
which is tomorrow, and whether the surgery would interfere with her birthday, whether her mom was going to become a robot, and whether a that valid, whether, valid question. Exactly. And whether then I could be controlled by other people, which That's I think the fear was of like all of us, right? both a fear and a wish. Because <laughs> then she was like, can I use that controller? <laughs> <laughs> Turned you off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so those were her biggest questions. And she had concerns about the hair. She's like, mom, we need to get you a wig. We need to get you hats. So we did spend a lot of time hat shopping and hair shopping, not hair shopping. <laughs> she wanted me to wear a wig actually. And I was like, that's going to be super scratchy. But so um, we were looking at hats, but then actually what I ended up doing is I did an initial cut, like a fun, the skater cut, which I think you saw. Right. And then yep. we both went to the hairdresser together to, so she got her first professional haircut and I got like a buzz cut. And so that really, I mean, she was super happy then. And then she kept rubbing my head and being like, fuzzy mama, fuzzy mama. <laughs> so that helped. She wasn't scared of it anymore. Like right. that was much better. Okay. So I know on the first podcast that I was on about this, talked about being so avoidant about it. I was still avoidant until like very much like the three weeks before. I couldn't read anything really about it. I was like, just the, the you know, the minimal amount of information I need, that's all I can take in. Like I couldn't even, you know, people would say STN or GPI, right? The two areas of the brain where I couldn't, like those acronyms just flew out of my head. Like I couldn't remember them at all. My neurologist really wanted to be able to reduce my meds. On average, people with STN reduced by 30%. So, and GPI not at all, or even increase your meds. Were you awake for the surgery? I was. That was really amazing. They said they were going to wake me up for the burr hole drilling, which, you know, super exciting, right? I was like, okay, I can do it. I can do it. Cause he said, you know, I don't want you to startle while we're drilling and then wake up in the middle of it, but they were able to keep me under for the whole burr hole drilling. So when I woke up, they had already done the hole. And meanwhile, they had inserted the tester and they were listening to my neurons firing as the Medtronic tech, his name was Saul. I didn't meet him before the surgery. I just went, as they were wheeling me into the operating, I, they, he introduced himself very briefly. He was like, for a while, I was like, was he real? Was he a real guy? <laughs> I was just like, oh. <laughs> I wasn't sure. But, or was he like a hallucination, a really nice hallucination who held my hand during the surgery? I love him. So um, anyway, so Saul would like, he'd move my wrist and my arm. And then they listened to the neurons firing to see if they were in the correct position. It was amazing. It was the neurosurgeon, the fellow, and like a, you know, seventh year resident and Saul, the Medtronic tech. And so they're listening and they're like listening for three, you know, firings. I can't hear shit. <laughs> I can't hear anything at all. Um, but they're like, you know, 10,000 hours, whatever of experience, and they can hear the, the, the pattern within the firings. Did they uh, tell you what it sounded like? I could sometimes hear it, but only a couple of times because one, I was just waking up and the other, it's like the pattern is hard to discern because it's sort of like, but that again. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like <laughs> firing neurons. For they sure. were really, they were really, you know, active and they have you do the finger tapping, the hand thing, the foot, and then count to 10. Couldn't count. Just like couldn't make it happen. I knew what I should be doing. I wasn't trying to be difficult. <laughs> Couldn't like initiate. It was like I was, it was sort of like I was frozen. In that moment, what, what were you thinking? I was terrified. 
this is my worst, absolute worst nightmare and what's going to happen. And, you know, and like a dark cloud immediately descended, which I'm sure was also related to the stimulation, but it was like, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is just a disaster. This is exactly what I feared because I, you know, know someone who that was the outcome of their surgery. And, and I'm like, total nightmare. And then I can see them getting worried and they go off to a little huddle on the side. And I'm like, I know you guys are over there talking about me. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there with my brain open. And like, I start singing a Justin Timberlake song (laughs) to myself. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn <laughs> and I'm like, and then I start singing, um, you know, shake it off. Like, what am I going to do? You should have gone Wizard of Oz. <laughs> if I only had a brain. <laughs> that would have been a good one. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Then they came back. I mean, it really played out my worst nightmare of the surgery that they're like all like, you know what that sounded like? What? It sounded like your imitation of the firing neurons. Yes. Yes. Their neurons were firing like in a rapid pace, <laughs> trying to figure out what the heck to do. That was terrifying. There was a moment where the anesthesiologist was like, okay, you know, we're going to, you know, close, you, you know, put you back asleep because we're finished up. And then the neurosurgeon says, actually, hold on just a second. We're going to try one more time. Cause I said, I don't feel so good. I really don't feel right. Then they moved the electrode. I said spontaneously, like not even thinking about it. I feel like I got my old body back. And I think the surgeon was like, yes. How uh, are you feeling right now? Yeah. Like post-surgery one. Um, there was like a good honeymoon period of two weeks where I didn't feel like I had Parkinson's much anymore. That was amazing. Larry. Right now I'm, I have more offs than ons because they're only cranking up the stimulation very slowly. The relief after having the surgery and getting through the surgery was huge. I feel like a mild depression, like lifted that had been with me for a while. And then also with the hopefulness that it can actually work. The side that I didn't do still is affected mildly. I made the decision to only do one side in part because I'm mostly affected on one side. And in part, because it was the opportunity all of a sudden to um, have the surgery and have the risk. And it would have been, been like a six hour surgery. It would then would cut down to three, only one burr hole instead of two. I was like, I need two holes in the head. Like I need a hole in the head. <laughs> and you got funnier. That's great. <laughs> uh, is it worth it? So far? Yes. Even just for the two weeks, I think it's worth it. (laughs) What do you remember about those two weeks? Did you do anything that you wouldn't normally do? I wrote a lot. I read, I read books for the first time in years. (laughs) Yes. You, you, you hear me, right? I hear you. Yes. I I can now watch television with my daughter and like not be so fidgety and and like restless. Yeah, that's good. it's like the concentration that things that I didn't even realize how bad they were actually to tell you the truth. 
Like that I don't feel like after every meal, I have to go lie down and take a nap. Yeah, that's amazing. What was it like the first time they turned it on? So that was just six days ago that they just turned it on. I was hoping for like magic. You know, I'm, you know, kind of cured and it's, and, and that didn't happen. I couldn't even tell that it was working. And then I did the finger tapping and I was like, oh, look at that, you know? And then one time, then they turned it off for a little bit and then they turned it back on and I could feel, you know, I was like, you know, my usual like parky, like stiff, you know, posing. And then I just went, oh, I was like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you want that. I want that. that's like the ultimate like what the muscles can relax as a psychology professor at Yale how do you have your brain surgery Parkinson's and and your life and have it all make sense psychologically for you I'm trying to be really gentle with myself and like both you know push myself in some ways to start exercising and do good things for myself and like let myself get extra help Friends came in to help me and stay with me. And I just had to kind of like, let go and say, okay. And part of it was really nice. You know, it's nice. It builds connection. Do you feel more comfortable in your body? I do. I'm still getting used to it. You know, you start learning your body pretty well, like what, what is going on and off. And now I'm just a little bit like flummoxed as to what it's going to do next. So, so on the one hand, I feel more comfortable. On the other hand, I'm sort of relearning what it's going to do. I love the creative and thoughtful way that she involved Cece, her daughter. Fuzzy mama, fuzzy mama. (laughs) What were her concerns? Well, let's make that a positive and, and let's, let's address it by doing something fun so that she has something, a really good experience. Her first time getting her hair professionally cut and done right now. She associates that lovely experience with her mom, with her mom's surgery and all the fear associated with that just becomes a little bit less. And she asks great questions. You know, our son will be quite interested in whether he can play his dad, like a video game (laughs) when this is all over. So I really identified with her that her daughter asked that question. If you are a robot, can I control you? Uh, that question will come up. Little does he know he already does. Great. <laughs> In so many ways. So many ways. <laughs> oh, yes. When she was talking about how she was getting through the surgery and how she was remaining calm through all of that. And singing those songs. I love that she used her tools. That was her that was, awesome. that was her mindfulness tool is to sing a song in her head. What song would make me calm and hit a tad happier <laughs> in this moment? And she really used what she knew and what she knew would work. And that's fantastic. This is listener participation time. So you need to go to our Facebook, our Twitter, or our, our, our Insta, and tell us, what is your DBS playlist? <laughs> <laughs> tell us, you know, three or four songs yeah. that you would find calming in that moment. And it might be something, it might be heavy metal, it might be... <laughs> It might be Sting. It might be, you know, we don't know. And then I'll put together a Spotify playlist that everybody can have. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Your DBS toolbox. There you go. We're we're making things happen together, people. This is what it's all about. I'm curious about your reaction to her description of two weeks of bliss and not having symptoms or feeling like she didn't have, she never really got Parkinson's. What's your reaction to that? You couldn't hear the tears of joy and the slobbering. 
<laughs> the envy, uh, right? <laughs> she goes, oh, yeah, you want that. You want that. Because <laughs> <laughs> she knows, right? Yeah, no, yeah. it would be great. It would be tre- tremendous. Like, you know, it, it, but there's no guarantee. Which leads us to our other story. So our final check-in for the show is with Heather. Heather's experience has been quite different from Becca's. I spoke to her in November, eight months post-DBS surgery. When you go into DBS, as you probably know, for the year or so, maybe even more, ahead of time, you get tested, they run you through the to the limits. Everything from your mental and memory capacities to your physical self, you have to get you know, your heart checked, everything needs to check out for you to be able to get DBS just to be con- um, considered as a candidate. Then COVID hit. Then my one of my neurologists went on paternity leave. And then, you know, I got shuffled around with different sort of like specialists. And then everybody has a different opinion about where it should be, what it should be. Ultimately, as you know, the doctors decide where it's placed. My ambivalence came from, should I have had the subthalamus nucleus placement? Or the um, the GP, which is the globus pallidus placement. So what what is the, what the STN is what it is called? Or? Yeah, subthalamus nucleus area. That means that it's about the size of a tip of a pen, and those electrodes that go into that area are easier to program, but they're a little closer, as I understand it, to your language center. I was afraid that it would be placed wrong, and I would lose my ability to speak. And some people do. Some people it really impacts their voice. It's what scares me about it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Boston Scientific and I have the smallest battery. I don't know if you'll be showing any video, but I have the smallest battery they had and it still sticks out quite significantly. And I had two operations, not just one. Like, I think Becca just left and you did both sides of the brain? Yeah. So there's a bunch of cords. You're like, if you touched my head, you could feel them, but they're kind of hidden. Okay. My barber can't get too close. Um, anyway, the, the reason for the ambivalence is a lot of misunderstandings about the length of programming. I was told by a number of parkies that you'd have this honeymoon period, this glorious time where you felt like you didn't even have Parkinson's. And I'm like, uh, this kind of missed me a bit because I got kind of ripped off. I spent that 48 hours having nausea and not feeling good. And then that next 48 days, the next 48 months, just feeling horrible. It would be great when they programmed you in the office and then you drop off and get home and you couldn't move completely frozen to the floor as if I was in some kind of quick drying cement. It was, it was actually terrifying. I couldn't roll over in bed. I couldn't manage stairs, but as I get to know this device in my brain, as I get this little teaching, this PhD on this, I'm learning to use it in different ways and to be patient. And I don't know what this word patience is, but I'm learning it. Last time I was in a programming episode, I had the Boston Scientific rep, a neurologist, a programming expert, and a nurse all there, all just completely focused on me. I took pictures of where they were sort of, it looks kind of like, how do I say this? If you looked at the computer screen while you're being programmed, it looks like this sort of cone and they're just subtly changing things. And all of a sudden your shoulder will go up. It's like being a marionette. It's very creepy. Yeah. If this technology got into the wrong hands, I can't even imagine. Yeah. My dancing is a little more robotic now. And my walking is unpredictable until, until we nail this programming, but I believe they're going to get it right. I really do. And again, this is not the fault of my providers, nor is it the fault of the device. Um, like the company that 
provides a device. It is a complex thing. I'm a younger Parkinson's patient con comparatively, and they usually work with older patients. And for some reason, they're easier to program. That's what I've been told. Did you always feel like it wasn't their fault or did you have to get there? Oh, I was so angry. I stalked. I stalked my original neurologist. I wrote him letters on my chart every day. I'm like, you did this to me. You know, I mean, really, he probably was going to get a restraining order. But he knows me enough to know, oh, my gosh, medication, psychosis, lack of sleep, anxiety, a little depression. Let's give Heather some space and calm her down. It's all temporary. Ride it out. I know that it's terrible while you're in it. It's like going through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of the soul. It can, you can have these existential crises every other hour because we all turn into Cinderella, right? We go off, we go on, with or without DBS. So we all know that everyone with Parkinson's has a very different experience with the disease and with their symptoms. So it makes sense, logically, intellectually, that DBS would not affect everyone the same. But how heartbreaking to go through all of that and take those risks and make that big decision and not get the expected result. Well, and I, you know, full disclosure, Heather and I tried to record that interview about five times since her surgery. And after each time she goes, oh, that's not how, I, no, no, I'm, I'm not feeling well yet. You know, it's like, it did, she finally called me and said, okay, I'm ready. Uh, so she's coming around the bend and she, she, she has some really good perspective. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, she had that surgery in March and she's still dealing with it on a very, very uh, acute level. In typical Heather form, she did leave us on a hopeful note, the promise of the future and in her faith in the system that the, the medicine will prevail and her situation will work out how it's supposed to work out. And, and I think it also draws attention to the GBI versus the STN. So Becca had STN, which will uh, help you reduce your medications and will uh, help you calm your tremor. Uh, but she also had really bad dyskinesia, which is what they usually recommend GBI for. Well, what's interesting in our conversations about DBS and in what we may expect from your progression is that you and Becca have spoken about this quite a few times, but the similarity of your symptoms and the similarity of your progression, the similarity of your reaction to the different medications. The onset. I mean, we, the, we are like doppelganger Parkinson's folk. When they say when you meet one person with Parkinson's, you've met one per person with Parkinson's, that's true for everybody in the world except for Becca and I because we're like the same. <laughs> so it's interesting then to consider, do you look at that? Okay, so she reacted to DBS a certain way with this device at this point in her progression, because she's a little further along in progression than you are. And do you consider that? And do would the surgeons and the and your your MDS would they consider that in making some of these decisions? Well, a big forward? A, a big reason why I qualify for DBS is because of the amount of drugs I'm on. And, the, you know, my neurologist, Dr. Squires, really wants to reduce that. And so I think STN is where we're headed re regardless of what Becca did. But uh, to, see, to see the results that she's having is very encouraging. 
A 2019 study looked into long-term effects of DBS. The authors used medical records of their patients to identify the first 400 consecutive patients who underwent DBS implantation at their institution from 1999 to 2007. The survey data suggests that while DBS does not halt disease progression in PD, it provides durable symptomatic relief and allows many individuals to maintain the ability to conduct activities of daily living. Activities of daily living, also known as ADLs, over the long term. Tremor responded best to DBS, while other motor symptoms remained stable or worsened. However, patient satisfaction with DBS remains high. At long-term follow-up, 92.5% were happy with DBS after 10 years, 95% would recommend DBS, and 75% felt it provided symptom control. That's pretty good. I would say so, yes. I mean, that's encouraging to me. I should also mention there is a bit of a placebo effect that they believe is involved in this. Uh, Neurologist Dr. Michael Okun and neurosurgeon Dr. Kelly Foote, who we heard from in the last episode, uh, also discussed this. When you start to offer patients very powerful treatments, that you're going to introduce expectation of benefit. And when you introduce expectation of benefit, then comes the placebo effect. I'm not trying to use a placebo to trick a patient into getting better, but I want to do anything I can to improve this patient's quality of life. So if placebo enters into that in a positive way, I embrace it. It's another part of the brain that is producing a beneficial effect that is not directly related to our treatment. Uh, Great that there's a placebo effect, unless, of course, you're paying cash for DBS, which, in case I think I'd want it to work for real. That would be nice. There's a strong connection, as we know, between the mind and body. So mentality, I'm sure, is has a lot to do with all treatments for Parkinson's. And DBS, it's quite a surgery. So having a positive mentality, or at least a realistically positive, optimistic mindset about it, probably makes a big difference just to your overall well-being. Well, that is two episodes of Deep Dive into DBS. I'm sure there'll be more because there's always new information coming out about it. But boy, I feel I feel smarter today than I did when we began this. And more people we know are considering and moving forward with DBS surgery and so more stories to tell, more diverse experiences to share where that's concerned. I think all of that information is helpful because there are so many people who are given DBS as an option. You want to have that information. The information changes quickly. Both anecdotal and empirical research is really helpful to that. And if we can help to bring that to folks, then all the better. And to ourselves. Yeah, to me. (laughs) This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our story producer is Dila Velazquez. Sound designed by Greg Schott. And special thanks to Dr. Alfonso Fazano, Heather Kennedy, Becca Miller, Con P. De Parkinson, Sabella Evion, and Sonia Soriano Esper. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's, you are not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thanks to our promotional partners, the World Parkinson Congress 2023, happening in Barcelona, Spain. We cannot wait to go when we cannot wait to see you. Make sure you get all the details now and start saving your pennies. WPC2023.org for details. The Webby Award-winning Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, hosted by Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at MichaelJFox.org. And the next episode is going to be about the PPMI research. It's really cool. Oh, great. Love to hear more about that. It's going to be great. 
coming out December 22nd. Uh, PD Avengers. Oh, PD Avengers. Uh, have you signed up to be a PD Avenger yet? I hope so. A global alliance of people with Parkinson's, their partners and friends, united to the cause of ending Parkinson's disease. Get out of here. No, it's true. Find out more details at pdavengers.com. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. SpotlightYOPD.org. And we would love it if you would share this podcast with someone, anyone, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, somebody who has Parkinson's or knows somebody with Parkinson's. Uh, it's... Uh, it's that personal endorsement that goes a real long way. It's the most effective way for us to, to really grow the podcast, but also bring awareness to Parkinson's disease. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.